And welcome back to another episode of Code with Kingy, where we are recapping round four of Super Rugby Aotearoa with a hurricane snatched defeat from the jaws of victory in their game against the Chiefs. And the Crusaders took down the Blues to show everyone that they are still atop the food chain. Well, uh, kia ora, Dad, and thank you for rejoining me on Code with Kingy to recap round four of Super Rugby Aotearoa, where we saw two interesting games, and I guess we'll get into them, 35-29 to the Chiefs on Saturday night. And then 43-27 to the Crusaders in Auckland against the Blues. But we'll start with Saturday. What did you make of uh, the first and the second half of the first encounter on the weekend? Uh, do you remember me texting you at the end of the game on Saturday night and basically saying that uh, the Hurricanes are the new Chiefs? Um, I think that pretty much sums it up. Because um, if you sort of remember... Like last year, those two games that the Chiefs lost to the Highlanders, which were actually the only, I think, two of the three games that the Highlanders won last year, um, they were both come from behind victories. So I think what happened on Saturday was pretty much a replica of um, what happened to the Chiefs last year's happened to the Hurricanes, if that makes sense. No, it does. It was, yeah, and the reason why I said the first and the second half was it was because there was two completely different um, outputs from from the home team in the first half. Um, despite sort of having fifty fifty ball, they seemed to just be getting over the advantage line and breaching, like we saw with their uh, four first half tries um, at will. And then sort of come the second half, where the Chiefs hung on to the ball a bit more and starved the Hurricanes of it. Uh, yeah, the Hurricanes looked like a completely different team. And that was something that I actually talked about earlier in the year with my boss, fully enough. And he talked about how, from what he saw even during the preseason games, the Hurricanes look the goods when they have the ball. It's when they don't have it that they begin to come undone. And, I, and even talking to you about it, you, you, I mean, like, both of us aren't the biggest fans of TJ Pedernada, but you almost sung his praises in the way that he organised the defence for the Hurricanes, especially last year with the lack of Bowden Barrett there and... I guess the lack of like a vocal leader, especially in their back line, besides maybe Geordie, but when you're playing at fullback, there's only so much influence you can have whilst having to cover all that, um, that area at the back of the park. But, yeah, once the Chiefs had a bit of go on them, uh, namely when Chase Tiatia came onto the field and McKenzie switched to 10, they were just a different beast. And even after Geordie, kicked that ba- uh, Geordie Barrett kicked that penalty with about 10 to go, I think, which was a huge kick, I just had this inkling that the Chiefs were still going to win just by the way that the Hurricanes they were playing. You know, they really went into their shells in that second half. And, yeah, like you said, maybe they are the new Chiefs for 2021. Yeah, a few things I observed. So one of the things, correct me if I'm wrong, but that penalty by Geordie Barrett was the only points they got in the second half, the Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. So that basically means that they're attack was completely ineffectual um, that entire second half and what I think one of the big change well two yeah I, I think the biggest change that happened for the Chiefs was McKenzie going to 10 
and obviously it took them some took them like a good 10 to 20 minutes before they started getting on a roll but if you sort of look that young I felt a bit sorry for that young fellow Trask he had a bit of a mare and he sort of he looked like he was like uh, you know he got a bit of stage fright and he and he yeah he just didn't look like he was up to it and I think there was probably a hint of desperation at half time for the Chiefs to said, well we've got to get McKenzie in there to sort of get some control over that and it sort of took that 10 to 20 minutes and once they got in a roll they sort of really got in a roll and yeah the impact of Tia Tia was huge and I think the biggest turning point was that was it the Weber try? Yeah. I think that was the biggest turning point because it basically came from just sort of they scored and then all of a sudden it was like almost like from the kickoff and it was just like it was very very quickly and they scored again and all of a sudden I was just like bang bang I was just like holy moly what the hell's going on here and I think that's what happened is that the Hurricanes were like whoa what's going on here and you could just sort of see just the the, the, the change you know, just in the attitudes from the Chiefs and from both the Hurricanes, all of a sudden the Chiefs are like, oh, we're in for the chance here. And the Hurricanes are going, what the hell's just happened here? And that, that I, I thought that Weber try changed everything because the Canes still had a bit of a lead that they could have held on to, but once that Weber try came, that was it. The, the, the Chiefs knew, hey, we're on to something here. I think it's a funny one when you talk about teams being down by so many points. I mean, like, it was 26-7 at half time, And, like, for me, I thought the game was well and truly dusted. I remember you texting me saying, like, this game was a game of touch. And I'm like, well, the Hurricanes are winning it at the moment. And namely because they put the ball in the hands of young Celeste Rayasi, who had um, a pretty outstanding first half but was starved of the ball in the second. Uh, and the Fords were on a roll. But, yeah, like you said, as soon as they did score that second try... And I mean, like, when you're in that sort of position as a team, when you're down three tries, you've got nothing to lose, so it sort of takes the pressure away from the play. And so for the Hurricanes, like you said, I think they probably rested on their laurels and were like, you know, there's no way this team in the state that they're in can come back from this. And, yeah, uh, a, a try sort of out of nothing. And... I want to highlight, I guess, the lead-up to the try. And I don't want to give him this guy because a lot was made of his selection and the pressure going into it, but that was Auburn Ledger. And it was his sort of aimless kick that led to that try. It was, it was a bit of a nothing bomb that didn't really give his opportunity uh, for the chasers to catch on to it. And, yeah, again, we just saw McKenzie sort of slice open uh, in the middle of the field before feeding Tia Tia. But, yeah, I'm not really sure where the Hurricanes go to from here because even, even one of the things from me being live at the game was... The fact that he was taking the restarts and like none of them were contestable and yep you can put it on a guy like if you're given that responsibility you've got to live up to it but it just seemed like on top of already being the first five coming into it and it doesn't even seem like he really is like a natural first five again like I mentioned on the um, on the preview he's more of a utility that like, especially towards that second half I, I felt sorry for him because his forwards weren't giving him anything and then any ball he had, like a lot of his kicks, weren't all that great. So, on top of the the Fords um, getting a number done on them, you know, when their back was put up against the wall, yeah, the backs didn't look too flash either. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. 
I just think there was, yeah, and we talked about this on Friday. Was it Friday, Thursday, Friday when we talked? Last week, anyway. And I think the Chiefs knew that second 40 minutes was the make or, making or breaking of this season. I honestly, I honestly think they thought, we've got to do something here. And I think there was a hell of a lot of desperation there. And so you combine their desperation with probably a, um, an element of, I guess, the Hurricanes, you know, I guess just switching off, thinking, oh, you know, this is... And um, Holland talked about that, the coach. He even talked about them sort of switching off, saying, oh, you know, this was almost like too easy. You know, sometimes they talk about it in football. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about, you know, something like a 2-0 a or a 3-0 lead. Sometimes if you're, gonna, if you're up two or three goals, it's really easy in a, you know, in a game of football to just switch off. And I think the same thing happened with the Hurricanes, you know, using a rugby analogy. You know, they were hit by like three tries. And so I think there was an element of them switching off and the Chiefs just being so desperate because they didn't look desperate in the first 40 minutes, but they definitely looked desperate in that second 40 minutes. And as far as the competition's concerned, it was actually good for the competition because if they had kept losing, you know, everyone would have just started feeling sorry for them. And there's nothing worse when people start feeling sorry for you, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, fingers crossed this isn't uh, the start of it. <laughs> of a long spell for the Hurricanes, but yeah, well, they're not yeah. going to have it easy uh, taking on the Highlanders off the back of their bye week. But, I mean, we, we, I've mentioned the likes of Ayasi and Tia Tia and um, how much better the Chiefs look with McKenzie at 10, but did anybody else stand out for you from Saturday night? In the Chiefs or in the Hurricanes? or Either side. Well, I guess you're only picking the first half for the Hurricanes and the second half for the Chiefs. Um, I, I'll tell you someone, and no, regardless of how badly they've been doing in the last 12 months, I just think if there's one guy that can hold his head high, is Brad Weber. I just think he's just been a tireless workhorse and able lieutenant to Sam Kane, and I don't think enough credit's given to that guy. I mean, I... I personally rate him as a player. Um, I think the only thing he has lacking at the international level is a little bit of size because um, he's extremely quick. But I think at the international level, you just need a little bit more of that uh, physicality in your game. It's just the way the international game is. But otherwise, I just think he's the unsung hero of that team that has been struggling for so long. And I think if you watch that try he got um, he does that all the time but unfortunately you know when you're playing in the team and things aren't going your way there probably would have been a lot of situations probably in the, the, the games leading up to this game or some of those games last year where if things had been going their way um, he probably would have been you know scoring more tries from backing up but it's just not how you know the games were going for the Chiefs they were just for whatever stuck in that rut but um, he played a huge part he played a huge part in that comeback because that try he got was just typical of so many tries he scores because he's so quick and he runs awesome lines and he just he just has good ball sense so he knows where to be at the right time 
and he actually, you know, he actually scores quite a few tries. So he's my unsung hero for the Chiefs. Yeah, I think there's a huge disparity between the the, the performance of the Nines uh, for the Hurricanes and and the Chiefs. Um, I don't know why Luke Campbell did get a start, but yeah, after mentioning the mere, the mere that Caleb Trask had, I didn't think that Campbell played very well. And and again, you know, like aren't, aren't they teammates at, at the bay? <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, again, like it's his first start. He's playing at home. I'm, I'm guessing there would have been a bit of nerves, and it showed with a couple of the early errors. But just the way that that game dragged on, it's like, yeah, I know that the Hurricanes are winning, but even then, I didn't think his service was all that crisp. And it actually took them quite a while to bring on um, Tomatane, who I was actually, you know, impressed was or was okay with the first couple of weeks for the Hurricanes. So maybe it was just a matter of them, you know, giving them equal opportunity and seeing who was going to perform better. But yeah, I, I don't see Campbell getting a start this Friday and I'm going to be interested to see whether or not they keep Ledger at first five because I think there are a lot of people calling for a shift off the back of the performance that he put in um you know again he was thrown in the deep end or thrown under the bus so to speak um going into this game because I mean if they go on and win they're expected to win but if they lose of course he was going to be the um the scapegoat in a way so I didn't yeah. think I didn't think he did anything wrong to be honest like he didn't uh, make his, any his, glaring his, ever. It was his it, kicking he didn't make for any me. Glaring. It was his kicking. Well, but I don't think he made any. He, he, like I think normally there are some positions, and 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 number ten's an obvious position, where your mistakes, you know, are are are, are, are really noticeable, yeah. and they and they become magnifying compared to other positions. And I, I just sort of feel like he was just you know you know distribute the ball, probably make your tackles. Um, I think he was just sort of there, and I think what would have happened is there would have been the guys around, the more experienced guys like your Nani Laumapis, your Geordie Barretts, that probably would have been making a lot of those decisions. And and the thing is, I think the big difference between him and probably maybe Garden Bishop last year, the big difference was one person, that's Piranata. Like, if he had had TJ Piranata at halfback, his life would have been a lot easier for him. But he didn't have that luxury, so he's been given the hospital pass of hospital mm. passes. So I, I actually, I actually wouldn't be too hard on him. I didn't think he was that bad. I thought he was better than Trask. Trask was horrible, you know. Um, so that, that's why you know the Chiefs brought in McKenzie. The Hurricanes don't have that luxury. The, the, what they could have done potentially, and I know you're not a fan of it. But if they wanted to get some control over that game, put Barrett into 10. Because, I mean, it worked for the Chiefs. I mean, it's just like sometimes, you know, and I guess the difference was is that they were ahead by 20 points. So it's just like, well, if you're ahead by 20 points, Ledger can't have been playing that badly. But I think just things became pear-shaped in that second half just as that second 40 minutes was going on. And I wouldn't put it down to him at all. Yeah, there might have been some of his kickoffs not that great and... I wouldn't blame that Weber try on that kick because McKenzie ran through about ten players before you know, and then and then there was a that awesome offload by um, Tia Tia, so I wouldn't put that on just on a nameless kick. 
I think the point I'm trying to get at is that although a lot is made of, you know, a first five's ability, um, I guess in the current era or the, the current state of the game, with their ability to take the ball to the line and actually pose as a threat. But for me, at the end of the day, if your 10 can't kick or is kicking it away aimlessly, which I felt like he did for the most part, whether or not you stem that back to Campbell's um, lacklustre service, um, I'd have to go back and watch the game and see what sort of pills he's getting thrown. But, yeah, I just wasn't blown away by, by some of the kicking. And, again, like, yep, Geordie could have stepped in and maybe taken a bit more responsibility there. And, you know, maybe more of this is thrown at Jason Holland because he's not a 10 to begin with. And, again, like you said, he's been thrown the hospital pass. But, yeah, it's, it's like an, it's it's like for a number of different positions, it's like, well, if your winger can't score tries... What's the point in him being on the wing? If your halfback can't pass the ball, what's the point in him playing halfback? You know what I mean? So, no, fair enough. But yeah, I guess um, we'll roll on from this um to the second half because yeah, I'm still pretty disappointed. Um, not the second half, but to the second game of the weekend. Sorry, because I am still pretty disappointed about what transpired from Saturday. But as I sort of guessed, and maybe not so much hoped for, the Crusaders came away with another win, um, leading at halftime seventeen points to eight, but then running away with it or keeping the scoreboard ticking over with 43 points to 7 at the end of the second stanza. Um, again, what did you make of that game? Yeah, actually there's one thing I probably want to sort of correct myself. I, I sort of talked about last week the Blues having three or black props. Actually, they've got four or black props because I forgot about Hodgman because he's a bit of a, he's sort of a bit of the, the unsung hero, you know, especially in the front row. So I do apologise to... Um, Alex Hosman, Hodgman there. So, yeah, so, I mean, the Blues had their four all-black props, so you could just sort of see is that there was a bit of a... It's a bit of the old Springbok tactic where they basically just sort of load up their big boys and bring them on to basically destroy teams in the second half. You know, they just basically take off a bunch of big guys and put on even more big guys. And I think that's um, the strategy and the attitude that the Blues have gone with is that basically they've really loaded up the front row so if you've got four four all black props not three all black props i mean that should give you a good chance to win any game but not that i know anything about the front row but it sort of seems to be it didn't have the effect i thought it would more than anything it just sort of looked like they looked quite even in the in the in the scrums and i was really surprised that uh, to Nukuafi only came in in the last 20. I was yeah, quite same. surprised about that. I was like, either they probably... I don't, I don't know whether they didn't think he could play 30 or 35 minutes, which he should, but I thought it was yeah quite strange that he only came in in the last 20. As I said and I predicted, they attacked them at the line-out, the Crusaders, and they did a very, very good job. What really surprised me uh, was how much they actually had to defend. I was really surprised by that. I would have thought they would have had their fair share of uh, possession, but what they defended really, really. Well. I don't, know, I don't know whether they defended really, really well, or maybe the Blues were not as effective with all the ball they had. I don't know what's your take on it. Well, that was my thought going into Sunday was that they had to maximise come away with points uh, when they were in the Crusaders red zone or when they had the opportunities um, to take them and unfortunately like you just mentioned the Crusaders did a pretty good job at keeping them off the line and away from the posts 
Uh, and again, like the, the Crusaders in the way they do, uh, they had a couple of op- opportunistic tries. Obviously, they had their, their classic rolling more, which Cody Taylor scored. He's pretty much been the man of the moment outside of um, their number 10, who we'll get to later. And then, of course, like the Jack Goodhue try um, off a nicely paced kick from Bryn Hall. So, yeah, like I mentioned, they went into the half 17-8 after what I thought was like a, a pretty even first half, especially that opening 20. But then, yeah, sort of towards the back end of it, Crusaders looked a little bit more in control. But the Blues are still in the fight. And then second half comes around, and although the Blues scored the first try of the second half, the Crusaders just seemed to be, again, be the team that were in control. And that was just noticeable from the number of penalties the Blues were giving away in kickable um, areas. And Mwanga made them pay. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I'm not sure really what to, to make of that game as a whole for the Blues, although Leo McDonald came out after the game and said that, you know, it was four tries apiece and, it, and penalties were the difference. I, I mean, for me, I, again, I still wasn't even all that impressed with the Crusaders as a whole. I thought that Mwanga was a magician, but it, it wasn't like the Crusaders were like, wow, like, you know, this is, you know, well, not what we come to expect, but it was almost like the... The Crusaders like are content with this being, you know, that one percent better, and that one percent equals, you know, a win, you know, like they have done the last four or five years. You know, they're happy to go about it that way. Like at no point in that game did I think the Blues were going to win. Yeah, I was really surprised. Like, I was really surprised by the, well, I shouldn't be, but I was actually quite surprised by the composure of the Crusaders. You know, because I thought after last year when the Blues nearly beat them, there was only a, really a, a couple of bits of Mwanga magic that actually got the Crusaders out of trouble in that game down in Christchurch, if you remember. And I, I honestly thought that, you know, they were there for the taking, but I've got to take my hat off to them. They were really impressive. I was, I'm a lot more impressed with them than obviously you are because... I think the great thing about them is they they almost looked all black like and that and like you know the all blacks from a couple of years ago so probably uh pre 2019 so you know that that period between you know probably like 2010 to about 2017 you know and that's probably the greatest period in all black rugby where for whatever reason they just could absorb 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 and then just do what they had to and and as you said yourself he says like you know you, you sort of got a bit sick of it but it's like you've got to take your hats off you've got to take your hat off to these guys yeah i mean and again scott robertson i mean it's like he's a genius i think i just think i don't think he's a genius in being a tactically in that i just think he's a genius at just getting the best out of his players that's my take on it I mean you know it's easy to get sick of people being that good but it's up to everyone else to catch up to them mm. and and no one's really come up with a solution yet and I I think what it is is that like I think sometimes what can happen and I think this happens to the blues sometimes I think sometimes and this is where they got tested on Sunday is that they've been able to bully the other teams and they've been able to sort of, I guess, sort of 
play their own game. But all of a sudden, when their you know their A game wasn't quite working, you sort of look that some of them start to revert to sort of like playing like individuals. And I'll tell you, one of the guys who's one of the worst, and that's Rico Iwani, playing at centre. It's easy to play as an individual when you're on the wing because you're on the wing. But if you watch him when he plays, sometimes sometimes he he, it's almost like he tries to do too much on his own. And I just sort of sometimes feel like that's just because you watch him, he's actually quite an emotive player. He gets really emotional, and he you know sometimes when stuff's going, he gets quite niggly and pushing guys, you know all that sort of stuff. And I think sometimes um, he just sort of lacks that composure. I don't know what you take. I don't. I don't know what you're taking, but I sometimes see him, and that's not a good thing to be to play as an individual, especially when you're a centre, because you're there to actually make play, you know, and set things up for your outsides. And I sometimes see him playing at centre, but um, playing like a winger, if that makes sense. Mm, I, I, again, it's very easy to play, or I guess play as a team when everything's going your way, and that's what I meant by the Blues not looking like, for me, that they were ever going to win their game. And that was namely because the Crusaders just defended so well. Like, I'd love to go back and check out how many line breaks that the Blues made. Um, I think there were a couple of opportunities or a couple of um, chances when I think there was this 2-2 try right at the end where Tom Robinson sort of got, got on the outside of a player and had a nice little offload off his half break. But, yeah, like, I don't... Iwani was sort of um, a missing man, and, and like you said, yeah, he does. He which, does which, get... which, which one are you talking about, Rico or Akira? No, I, I, I've been I've been impressed with Akira, um, but no, Rico, like you said, he is um, quite an emotional dude, and you can see him drawing away, and even when he does his try celebrations, um, as cool as I think they are, again, I guess on on the flip side of all of that is that there is. Um, maybe a short fuse or you know like when when there is a bit of frustration building there is the tendency maybe to tuck the ball and try and sidestep or bunt a guy rather than I guess maybe direct it back in was to a forward or, or tip it on because he, he does sort of have that hero in him he does have that hero in him and and you know that's part of the that well that's what part of his makeup and what makes him such a great player um, but yeah, like you said, it's some, sometimes he does tend to be a little bit selfish, and yeah, I guess the, the winger tendencies do tend to kick back in. And yeah, like you said, it's not really a good look when you're playing um, one position in. But yeah, I mean, actually, but, while we're at just... sorry, 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 John, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but the only reason I'm bringing this up is because I've just r- realised that Caleb Clark pass was a forward pass, wasn't it? For that uh, Blues try in the first half, that was a forward pass, eh? I that left a, his hand. I thought, I thought it was a forward pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that left that went forward from his hands. Yeah, he had his back to the back to the um, Crusaders line, but the fact that when it left his hand, the ball went in front of him. So I I can't see how that was a try. Yeah, I, I didn't. I couldn't quite wrap my head around that one either. Um, anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up because it's like I'm surprised you didn't bring it up sooner or at all. Because I thought, nah, that was glaringly obvious I thought that we got enough on the referees last week that the last thing I want to do is <laughs> keep pitching about them true true, um, true, true but yeah true. But, but but at the same time like the, just to get on that again I, I don't want to I don't want to keep bagging the guy um, because I do really rate him as a centre and I do think he's probably a, our guy going forward if he is able to iron out um, a few things in his game but there were two opportunities when the Blues went to go wide uh, one where I think the pass was Knocked back. 
And then there was the one where he could have put in the grubber kick to Clark when they had the overlap. And there were just two times where I thought he hesitated or maybe I thought that, you know, he, because he is so big and powerful and does score a shitload of tries, that I think he did go for the glory play. And right. Are you and talking about Rico off. again? Yeah, Rico in the first half, a- there were two opportunities. A- actually, now that you say it, I'm trying to... You know the forward pass from Clark? Mm-hmm. You only should have given him the ball sooner, but he tried to be a bit of a hero yeah. going his own. You remember that? Yeah. So he actually made that try harder than it should to be. And that's what I'm talking about, is that sometimes he gets a bit of that white line fever and he shouldn't be doing that at centre. You know, so that, that that's an example because they sort of had the overlap. And I was like, what are you doing? When he sort of tried to go on his own and then he sort of offloaded it. But because Clark had sort of overrun it, he had to sort of take the ball and he had, he had his back to the line and then he had to throw that sort of, well, apparently not forward pass. So now that I think about it, that's an example of actually how Ioane gets white line fever sometimes, you know, because he's he's playing centre, but he's playing like a winger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, like I said, I can't disagree with that. All right, we'll get the rest of the show on the road because we are tracking along at half an hour at this point. Um, my five points, and I'll do them in, in chronological order. Number one, the Hurricanes have a bigger problem in their backs than their forwards right now? Um, they have a bigger issue with their backs because their forwards have always been shit. <laughs> so that's just like their backs have their backs have pretty much taken them to all their success, to be honest. And so that the fact that basically what used to help them win games and even championships is no longer there for yeah key losses you know so yeah fair all right point number two damian mckenzie should start at first five from now on uh well they have chased to your tier fullback that's the best they've looked in a year and a half yep yeah but then again um, like all impact players, um, what you sometimes t- you got to take the bad with the good, because Tia Tia does do the odd howler, so you've got to be prepared to take the bad with the good, and that comes with guys that have got a bit of go in them, as that the 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 occasional howler comes out. So if you're okay to uh, put up with the occasional howler, and like I like him as a player, I really rate him Tia Tia. Um, as opposed to bring him off the bench starting him yep I wouldn't disagree with that I think he's got a proven um, record starting um, at the Canes to where I think he can certainly do the job and I mean fuck at this point if you're going to keep throwing Trask and Gatlin out there I mean like they can't be that much worse than <laughs> or Tia Tia's howlers can't be much worse than that <laughs> um, but yeah we'll leave that at you're that a, you're uh, a hard man you're a hard man you're a hard man Hey man, I'm just real. Uh, the Blues uh, are more so mentally inferior to the Crusaders than they are talent or ability-wise. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I think, as I sort of said before, the difference is composure. That was the thing. Like, with everything they threw at the Crusaders, the Crusaders just, just took it. And the Crusaders did what they had to do to get their points. And the funny thing is, like, with that game... Because they had that, was it seventeen eight lead, and because they had, so it would have been yeah a nine nine point lead nine point lead, so 
when they start getting, it was like penalty, penalty, penalty. It was just like, well, let's just kick the three points. It was, it was clever rugby. You know, they, they, they weren't so arrogant. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll kick to the corner and we'll go for another try. I was like, we're ahead by nine. Let's just keep ticking over, ticking over, ticking over. And it was, it was smart rugby. It, they were just, they were more composed. They were smarter. So yeah, mentally they were a lot better than the Blues. And the Blues should actually watch that tape and just go, wow, these guys were really smart. Yep, can't disagree there. Um, point number four, Richie Moanga is already arguably the greatest Super Rugby player ever. I'm not sure that's a, it's actually a, a, an honour you really want. You know, if you're, if you, if you, you know, I would rather be, well, would you want to be run, run, known as a great super rugby player, but not a great All Black? You but I mean, he, I mean, he's only, what, three years, four years into his All Black career, so he's still got, you know, a lot of time ahead of him. But I guess my point is, what's that? He's going into probably his fifth championship out of, what, six or seven campaigns. And it doesn't look like the Crusaders are slowing down. And like even in my lifetime with the likes of Dan Carter, I can't remember him, maybe because of how good his forward pack and his backline as a whole was, him being as dominant as Moanga has been. I'm not saying that Moanga is going to be better than Dan Carter, um, although, you know, like even though I wasn't a big believer in Moanga in comparison to Barrett early on, the guy has won me over and I, you just can't argue with his displays um, and the pressure cooker moments. I guess more so for the Crusaders than the All Blacks. So, yeah, I guess I thought I'd just run it past you. You know, considering you've been watching Super Rugby since it's um, yeah, since no, the no, I, I, under, I understand what you mean by that. No, like that, like yeah, no, I understand. I, I guess, I guess when you're that good, you don't want to be remembered as a great Super Rugby player. You know what I mean? Like he's good enough to be the best first five in the world if he's not close to it at the moment. You know, just purely for his skills. Enough, enough. I remember us having this conversation a year ago and my point to you was is that the difference between him and Barrett is that Barrett has in some ways he's sort of a better player, like better all round skills but Moanga is a better first five if that makes sense. So he has better first five skills than Bowden Barrett. So if you, if you, if you say, so if you sort of had them both playing at 10 and both playing at 15, just say if you were doing that, then Bowden would do a better job of the two. But if it was just judged on being the 10, Moang is the better player, if that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Um, considering like how well he has played at first five, it, it's yet to really translate at the all-black level. But you know, I guess part of that's having Bowden Barrett in that environment and not really having all that faith from Ian Foster to be like, hey, Richie, you're our first five and don't don't actually like pay any attention to what the All Blacks media is saying because I guess there is such a hype train behind Barrett. And I'm on it as well. I still feel like Barrett um, can be the All Black first five, but I guess that's just the dynamic. Like Mwanga, that's his team at the Crusaders, but he hasn't really been given that leash um, with the All Blacks and you know I guess we have to see him moving forward um, whether he ever gets it but I'll get to my last point just to wrap all this up um, yep. and for me it was sort of I guess 
part of the game that transpired on Sunday, um, namely the the two points that I want to get to was Cody Taylor um, having the reven- the penalty reversed um, for I think he I think he rubbed like Alex Hodgman or something like that after he won a scrum penalty, and then right at the end of the game when Severi scored his try, and he did the celebration that Ricky Owani did against the Hurricanes a couple of weekends ago, and for me like I like that stuff because I feel like New Zealand rugby has done. Um, I think they've taken the easy option with a lot of their marketing in terms of, you know, like having the players be very buddy-buddy. And I guess it's hard now because a lot of these big players, they're interacting with each other all the time because because of Super Rugby Aotearoa and like how many All Blacks games we have every year. But for me, um, I think I'd like the game if there was a bit more rivalry and, and there was a bit more dislike. So I guess as someone who's sort of seen a lot more rugby than I have, do you think that the game would actually be better off both from a product perspective and even from a marketing perspective, if the teams had greater rivalries and there was more dislike between them? I think what would come with that is if um, if the competition was more even. So when Because real rivalry comes when the competition's even. But if a team's being so dominant, and especially... Um, they've been playing each other so often it breeds familiarity and so that's so like last year's competition was sort of really good partly because we were just desperate to play rugby and you know some of those results are really cool but at the end of the day it was still the Crusaders who still really dominated it and if anything it's got worse this year if you ask me so I think what it is is that there needs to be an evenness. And so once there's an evenness, you know, the, the, the competition's more even, then people are, are more likely to be more passionate. But it's really hard to be passionate when you know what the result's going to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just liked the niggle and I guess oh, I do the, too. I, the, the I, going I, I, back and forth. I, 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 I love back in the days when, um, like, you know, we probably talking, you know, uh, early professional, you know, end of amateur, where guys that played in the All Blacks together, like, and they'll be getting them punch-ups and doing all sorts of dirty shit during the game. And these guys, that you know, would go on All Black tours together, but as soon as they got back to their provinces, they're like, they didn't care. Whereas now you sort of see the guys now, it's just like they're having, they, you know, straight after the game, they're having a good laugh. And, you know, the, the game just seems a lot... And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but there doesn't tend to be that niggle. And that was, I think that was one of those things that was just like, you know, we're not mates on the field. Mm. Whereas I think these days the guys are still mates on the field. And that might be an element of the game becoming sanitised because it's professional and you've got to get rid of all the fisticuffs and all the niggly stuff because... You know, if Mummy wants Little Johnny to play the game, they want to make sure it's a safe game for Little Johnny. You know, as opposed to, well, it's it's what that, I think, articulates is passion and competition, mm. those little niggly things. And to understand that sometimes you can become, you can get, get a bit carried away and things become overheated, but that's that's human nature. And it's just a reflection on people having a passion for the game. As long as it doesn't go, you know, too far when guys start, like, kicking guys in the head on the ground. That, that's that's just 
stupid. But just those little niggles, and it, all it's about, that becomes, that's gamesmanship to basically try and get one over, you know, whoever you're competing against, just so that they actually lose their focus. And so, you know, once you get them off their game, it's just like, oh, well, now I've got the edge on them, and that, that makes, that gives you a, a better opportunity to win the game. And that's all part of it. Um, yeah, I, I, I just sort of think there's a line you don't cross, but those little things, those little niggly things to just sort of get your opposition, you know, you know, out of focus, not, not focusing properly, I think there's nothing wrong with that. No, me either. I wish there was a lot more of it and that maybe the referees or I guess the policing of the game... Um didn't take all of it out because again like I mentioned I feel like it just adds to the occasion especially when there are big games on the line and yeah like I, I absolutely loved it when Sevi did that celebration I'm not sure um, Rico would have liked it but you know like if you're gonna go out and do it yourself I, I feel like you should be able to take it as well but we'll wrap that up there mate because um, we have waffled on for probably a little bit longer than what um, our viewers or you know all three of them um, <laughs> that they're used to than they're used to sorry but as always, really appreciate your time, Dad. Appreciate your input. And yeah, um, maybe keep your phone alarm <laughs> on loud in case um, I need you back tomorrow night. It might, it might end up being um, the weekly catch-up. Yeah. I might have to um, start paying you a little bit of money yeah, if I'm going to get you on so often. <laughs> fingers crossed, That's not so it. much for not getting your input, but yeah, fingers crossed I don't take up too much more of your time uh, for the rest of 2021. That's all good. It's all good. All right. Love you, Dad. Thank you. All right, then. Matiwa.